Well, there's the scene, isn't it? It's a bit of deja vu for some of us. If you were here three or four weeks ago when we looked at Mark chapter 6, and for the disciples, I'm sure it was deja vu as well, when they sat in this same situation, in the same context, with the same thing about to happen. There they are on a hillside. There were probably rocks strewn about. If they've been there for three days and three nights, it's probably going to be the warmer season in Palestine at that time as it was. Maybe people have been taking their coats, lying on them, putting coats over the top of them. Perhaps they brought the old blanket with them. They clearly didn't bring enough food. They weren't expecting to be there that long. It reminds me of a time I preached at a church not so far away from here, and I said to them, my sermon this morning is 48 minutes long because I've timed it, at which point you can see people automatically thinking, but my chicken's on, what do I do next? I managed to shave two minutes from that sermon. That's a warning to you, friends, that this is 45 minutes long this morning. That's a joke. Well, we'll see, start timing now. So it's warm, it's night, it's in the open, day and night's come. Fellowship has probably built from campfire to campfire. There's been the odd conversation. Oh, you're such and such's second, second cousin three times removed. Oh, this is great Aunt Maud. Glad to meet you. Oh, you're from three villages away. People have come from many, many places, from great distances. Strangers have come together. And maybe some of them are still strangers. But we know at least 4,000 men and other people have gathered. And then Jesus turns to the disciples who are experiencing deja vu, and he now says, what does he say? Feed them. Feed them. They've got a task in hand. Will they step up to the mark, cross the line, step forward, or will they somehow try and pass the buck? I wonder what you would have done in that situation. I wonder if you would pass the buck in your Christian life in some way. It's somebody else's responsibility. Uh, Simon, feed me, teach me. Worship group, give me good songs. Give me great hymns. Give me a short service. Uh, Wrong one to come to this week, obviously. Somehow abdicating your responsibility to grow in faith. The people have come, they've chosen to come for three days. We see the same in Mark 6. The people choose to gather. They are following Jesus because there is something in him. He's respected, isn't he? Elsewhere in the Gospels, he is called a rabbi, teacher. He teaches and speaks with someone who has authority. They recognise it and they are willing to go the extra mile to discover more. I wonder if you're in a journey of discovery as a Christian today. And so in our discovery, let us pray as we perhaps have deja vu this morning, and say, I've been here before, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would today move on and step forward in faith, knowing that you are always leading the way, that we do nothing without your grace, and that we are only here responding to you, crying, Abba, Father. We pray that you would teach us today, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's the problem for the disciples, really, in this situation? Well, maybe one of them is that they don't really know Isaiah chapter 33, verse 16. I'm sure it's a passage that will trip off your tongue, but just in case it doesn't, I happen to be able to tell you a summary, which is that Jesus, uh, that God says that he will never leave a believer, a follower of him, destitute for the basic necessities of food 
and water in this life. That does not mean things will not go wrong. It does not mean things will not be hard sometimes. It does not mean terrible situations may occur. It does not mean a life of luxury or freedom from illness, sometimes terrible illness. But it does mean that God always will provide what we need, our soul food and our human nourishment food. And here Jesus is saying to his disciples, who have been following him for quite a while, seeing quite a few things, and now, step up and take your part. And what's the disciples' reaction in that passage? You've just heard it read, you've probably got it in front of you. I I think they are completely bewildered. I think there's probably a sense of frustration in there with them. They're probably thinking, but you asked us last time and we weren't quite sure, and now you're asking us again. They're probably thinking, Jesus... We're in a remote place. Marks and Spencer's is closed. Maybe they're thinking, now, come on, Jesus, you planned this. You knew you were going to be here for three days. Where are the goodies? Come on in, bring out the tow truck. Bring me the food. Where's it all gone? Or maybe they're thinking, where's the camera? Is this a test? Is it a trick or something? But what they're not thinking is the, the, the step of faith, which automatically thinks, yes, God can and will provide. It's a different mindset. It's a spiritual mindset which is different. Their mindset is, is linked firmly and, and, and locked into the human, isn't it? I wonder if that's where we're locked usually. God becomes our last recourse rather than our first point of contact. He becomes the thing that's the afterthought rather than the first point of thought and contact. And as a result, yes, their hearts are hardened still, as we heard two or three weeks ago. It, it, it carries on. In, in chapter 8, uh, verse 27, when Jesus says, who am I? They start by giving some platitude answers. It's only when he really pushes them that Peter, it's the first confession of, uh, that Peter make, makes, that Jesus is the Christ. But he has to push them. They, they are not quite up to it yet, despite everything they've experienced, despite everything they have seen. I wonder if some of us here are are like that. Maybe as a Christian you you are bewildered in your Christianity. Maybe you are just overthrown by life. My friends, what this passage says is, as we stay in Christ, he will sink in. He does not give up on you. Do not give up on him. He will never give up on you. Because if the first thing then is that the disciples seem to be lacking any signs of Christian faith and yet he does not give up on them, he still continues to walk through it with them, he's taking them through a journey. If the first point is that disciples lack faith, it shows something. What it shows is this, it shows the compassion of Christ, doesn't it? Here is a great multitude in a remote place in extreme need. People have come for teaching and they've come to experience Jesus. They've almost come to reach out and touch him, haven't they? It's happened before, hasn't it? That The word again there is, is, a, is a Greek word that means this has been going on. It's happened before. This is an, again a second uh, time. Some people think, oh no, this is just a repeat of Mark chapter 6. But it's not. It's, it's told twice in Matthew as well. It's a second time that he does it. He does it for a reason. It's going to happen again. 
You've got the woman who reaches out to touch him in a crowd. You've got the man who's ill from birth, who's desperate to crawl up to him along a road. You've got friends who lie their friend on a mat because he is so cripplingly ill and they rip open a roof to drop him in. I just wish they'd rip open this roof and then it would help us out, wouldn't it? These people constantly come to Jesus because they see something different in him. I wonder if we're domesticating Christ and making him palatable and friendly and non-confrontational. He says, I come to divide like a sword. He says, even families will be divided elsewhere in the Gospels. And so some are here because they are seeking that. Others are there, maybe you're like this, because you're curious. You may have been attending Christian church for years, but you are still curious to hear the latest celebrity. But you see, Jesus here does not turn a single one of these 4,000 men away. He doesn't say, oh, you're the 4,001st, I'm sorry, there's not a rock for you, my friend. Everybody is welcome in the kingdom of God. And, and what he sees is genuine interest rather than rote religiosity, and he knows it, and he never fails to respond. Ephesians 3.19 says more on that, doesn't it? If you know that great passage about the love of God, it says that the love of God surpasses all our understanding. It is bigger than anything I could share or give you in a story. It is there on offer. And some of us know it, and we're living in it. And I was thinking, how can I describe this? Because surely some of these people have come to see Jesus, because even then, the cult of celebrity. And, and I remember back in, I think it was 1996 in my own life, and I'm sure some of you will remember this situation, because it affected the whole nation, didn't it? Diana, Princess of Wales, tragically died, didn't she, in a car crash. Many of you will know that. And so I, with two friends, decided late at night to get in the car and drive all the way from the south coast up into central London, assuming we could park somewhere next to Kensington Gardens, no doubt there was a reserve space just for us. You never know. What we failed to do was tell Catherine, who at one <laughs> o'clock in the morning, we suddenly thought, we'd better actually tell my wife where we've gone, because I think she's beginning to get a little bit upset. And so we drove halfway through the night, all the way through London traffic to get there. I went out of intrigue. I don't know if anybody else went. Did anybody else go up there? Martin did. A few, one or two. Yeah, one or two did. Most of you didn't. But you remember the scene, do you, from the news? I don't need to take you back there. You can imagine it. It's not, it's not a rock-strewn place. It's a beautiful garden, all laid out. It's not somewhere where people are camping out for three days and nights in tents or anything like that. It's people just coming for an hour or two and then going home. And we drove in the night to get there, and I'm going out of intrigue, and I found it, personally, a profoundly disturbing moment in my life. I wasn't expecting that. Because as I walked into that garden, because there was a parking space just outside, incredibly, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of cut flowers, the fragrance just filled the air and came through the railings. And it permeated right up into the trees, for all I know. And it was like there was a mist of scent of flowers across this whole garden. And it had a timeless quality about it. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people at one o'clock in the morning 
walking through this garden. And the most incredible thing was that in the midst of those hundreds, maybe thousands, there was not a single sound. It was as quiet and silent as a church, as someone could say. It was silent, as if awe had descended there in these people. As if they were walking up to a priceless object for the first time in their lives, and you didn't want to spoil that moment to keep it in your memory. And there was this look on most people's faces of just the same as me, I think. I came for little, and this is different. There is something here. And there were candles flickering where people had laid them in the lawns. Now, I know the reality of London life. Candles flickering on lawns in the middle of a public space are great things to be kicked over by young people. Yet not one candle was out. Not one candle was unlit. And if there was an unlit one, someone would come over and they were lighting it again for someone else, no doubt, who had gone. Almost in, a, almost in a religious act of remembrance that sometimes you see candles at the back of churches and you go and light it and say a prayer. And even the engines of the cars on the road outside seem to be muffled by some sort of a giant blanket as if to say there's something special in there and so we're going to drive quieter just for a moment. Now if you were there, you would know what I meant maybe, some of you. And I went as a Christian expecting to have an experience of just looking around to see what the media was all about. I went intrigued and I left disturbed. I'm still disturbed by it, maybe. I had sensed something. I'd sensed, I think, a collective national... Oh. Sigh. Nothing more spiritual than that. But it was as if I went expecting little and experience much. These people go to Jesus and they experience everything. They experience that and more. They find the meaning and the solution of everything. With Jesus, those who come to him are changed forever. The Spirit sets us free from a yoke of slavery, from a bondage of fear. And the flickers of his presence may be known or felt every now and again by you and I, but unlike that garden which came and it went and the nation moved on and it was something you can say, oh, I was there, tick the box, with Christ it changes everything forever. And so his compassion goes out to them. But who are they? Well, these are Gentiles. Mark 6, it's in Israel, the, the feeding of the 5,000. Mark 8, it's people from afar. It's a code for the Gentiles are coming. You see, he's going beyond the borders now, and he's saying, this experience of me, this knowing my salvation through the cross, is for everybody, and the moment will come. The bread is often a sign of, of what's going to happen to him when he breaks the bread and gives thanks, all through the Gospels. And he's saying it's coming, but it hasn't come yet, but it is for you as well. It's a reference back to Isaiah 64, verse 4, and Jeremiah 46, verse 27. You ought to look those up later. That in those days, those beyond Israel will come into Israel and be saved. So what's my point? Well, my point is the compassion of Christ is for everyone. It is not yours to keep to yourself. Because that's selfish, isn't it? That's selfish. Debbie asked us to pray for two people, didn't she, the other day? Two people. 
to pray for two people, one person in Christ the Lord and one person beyond the doors of Christ the Lord at the moment, and to pray for them every day of the week for 365 days. And everybody's given a little card, and I think Lois is going to talk about that later. I wonder who you've chosen, after praying about it with God, to pray for. And you are going to pray for them day after day after day, because that is a, a sign, a reflection of the compassion of Christ. That's you and I doing something that we're not used to doing. And then finally, it shows the completeness of God, doesn't it? The disciples just have no idea, do they? Jesus has compassion and the disciples have no idea. And, and God has intervention at the heart of this. Jesus lifts the bread, probably in the traditional way that a rabbi would have done, and he gives thanks, just as the way that we give thanks in communion. It's the same way that we give thanks in memory. He's making this a religious, a spiritual moment. And they are missing it. They are missing this moment of God. How often do we miss God? Because we are failing to look. We are failing to seek. We are failing to find. Because God rarely provides the way you and I want. I'm far more comfortable with the God who delivers on my command. I don't know about you, but in our family we have this, this kind of game. It's an unwritten game. Which is, whoever gets into the lounge first in front of the television when the TV is due to be turned on, which is far too early in the morning, whoever gets in there first and gets hold of the remote control, grabs it, turns it on, puts it on their channel, puts it under the, on, under the cushion and sits on it. Where's the remote? Don't know. No idea. How did the TV go on? I don't know. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Did you turn it on? Me? It's usually me sitting on the cushion with the remote under, by the way. Just to... Actually, it's not. It's not. It's Catherine. No, it's not. It's not. But you see, to be in control, it's the best thing, isn't it? It's what your culture tells you. You will be in control of your banking. You will be in control of your debt. You will be in control of your house. You'll be in control of your job. You'll be in control of driving. You'll be in control of your health. And some of you are now discovering, for the first time in life maybe, it's a complete white lie and fallacy. We can attempt control, but the ultimate control belongs to him who created you and I. And when that control is stripped away, we come simply as we are, bearing all. And these people are coming seeking for no matter what reason, and maybe you've come for different reasons, but they, they find Christ. They find Christ. And God demands a response. Jesus asks the disciples to take their part. The crowds have chosen to gather at this remote spot. They gather the baskets, seven of them, aren't they? Seven, a sign of completeness. God has provided everything here. Teaching has been provided. Nourishment has been provided. Back to Isaiah. It's all been provided. And the word for basket there is an interesting one. The best word I can use to describe it to you is from Waltzing Matilda. Now, I'm sure Jesus did not invent the song Waltzing Matilda. I, I'm pretty sure on that. But that great Australian song, do you know how it starts? Can you sing it for me? Have you got the first few lines? Once a jolly swag man camped at a billabong tree. 
Well, what's a swagman? That's an interesting one, isn't it? But the word swagman and his swag bag is the best description of a basket here because the swagman would have had... It, it, it's sort of a, like a homeless person that touts his wares and walks along uh, to, from town to town in Australia. And he would have this great big waterproofed on one side bag which was also the thing he put down to sleep on, like a sort of sleeping bag come ground sheet. And he'd have his tucker bag, which is elsewhere in the Walks and Matilda song. He'd have his, his tucker bag and he'd, he'd have his swag bag. Now, a swag bag is an enormous thing that can carry a load of stuff. And it's an important thing. And you, you bundle it up and you put your wares and your things in it and you carry it across with you. We are not talking about a basket the size of the thing that we're going to bring up later with a collection in it. Christ provided in enormous completeness. Where are you incomplete? Where are you incomplete? God provides the completeness. I'll give you a final story from here. A few weeks ago we said we don't know what we're going to do as a church. In giving at this church, if we're honest with you, needs to rise by 40%. Not next year, but now. Or we're going to have to cut some things back and the ultimate thing to cut back. And we took the budget to the PCC, didn't we? A few of us here, PCC, the other night. And people prayed about it, and we voted on it. And the, the, our budget was passed. At the point of passing our budget, Peter and I, in all honesty with you, we knew the money wasn't there. We knew it was an act of faith that some of you had given tremendously. Is that right, Peter? Incredible sacrificial giving to keep this church here. And then Peter sent me an email uh, two nights ago, I think, saying, Simon, I don't really know what's happened. You see, the exact budget that we set is the exact amount of giving in this church now. And we couldn't know that when we set that budget. We set the budget as we described it to you. The giving on that Sunday was not as high as that budget, but we said, well, in faith, we're going to set that budget. And you didn't know that because I took a decision not to share that with you. And through you, God appears to be providing, doesn't he? Isn't that incredible? The completeness of God is beyond your and my comprehension. The love of God, Ephesians, is beyond our full understanding. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross is beyond our making just for ourselves. Jesus fed them, and we are fed. And it's now time for us to feed others too. Let us pray together. Just in the silence, going to invite us to sift those words and to pray that God may speak now and invite his spirit to be here present with us as he already is and in his completeness in his love even where we lack faith like the disciples he would give a fresh understanding of himself to you. To those who are not here. To those you are praying for.
to those so terribly ill in hospital right now. Naming before God in particular Gordon and David. if as you're praying you believe you have a gift of a word of knowledge and you are a committed member of this Christian church, you are free to share it. Just perhaps from where you're sitting.